0: Alright, so our scripture reading tonight was in Hosea chapter 1, but I want you to turn over to John chapter 4. We're going to go back to Hosea in a little bit. And tonight my message is going to be a little different than a normal Sunday night type message. I think it's probably going to be more of a lecture than anything. I'm going to try to educate you all tonight. Um, I've been doing these uh, studies and videos on getting back to Bible terminology. And uh, I started doing some study on certain words that I'm wanting to do some videos on. And let's just say, as I started studying this, I started just learning a bunch of stuff that I never noticed in the scripture before, and uh, it was too long for one of those videos. I was like, i got to preach on this. There's some good stuff here that really has opened my eyes to understanding some difficult passages of scripture that I did not understand before. And what we're going to talk about tonight is what happened between the Jews and the Samaritans. Because we all know about, from the New Testament, the conflict between those two people. And, you know, we typically just chalk it up to racism, you know, because the Jews were mad that they were like half Jew and half Gentile. And obviously that was a part of it, but I I was actually surprised how much the Bible actually tells us about what created all this conflict. And I wanted to start off reading in John chapter four and verse nine. We're going to go back to this story in a little bit, but I want to read one verse where it says, thus saith, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew... Asketh me, ask us, drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So right there is a famous example where we see that Jews and Samaritans did not get along with each other very well. And this woman is is shocked that she's even being asked for a drink from a Jew. That's just kind of how they treated each other. And so we see many uh, references to the Samaritans and the Jews having conflict. And uh, I'm just going to read through some examples real quick, just in case you're not familiar. And Luke 9:51 says, "...and it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem." Now, here's the question. Why is that even a problem? Why were the Jews so upset that Jesus has faces set on Jerusalem? There's actually a reason for that. There's a reason why the Samaritans had a problem So I, 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 didn't, I never even really thought of before. Verse 54 says, and when the disciples, his disciples, James and John, saw this, when they saw how the Samaritans did not receive Jesus, and there's a lot of places that didn't receive Jesus. There was a bunch of Jewish cities where people didn't receive Jesus. But all of a sudden, when these Samaritans don't receive Jesus, look at this attitude they have. Reminds me of some Baptists. I know whenever they're not received. says, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? Lord, I hate them with the perfect hatred. You know, can we pray some imprecatory prayers? I've been studying up on the Psalms and I think I got some good ones. You know, in fact, since you're here, can you give us the power of Elijah so we can torch these people? Now, folks, this was not a righteous indignation. This was not a do not. I hate them. O Lord, that hate thee. They just hated the Samaritans. And so as soon as they did something they didn't like, they were ready to call down fire. And, you know, Jesus rebuked them for that. In Luke 10, Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan, which would have tweaked the Jews because why is he making a Samaritan a hero? that, That would have been a problem. We're not going to read that story. And he told them that story when a Jewish lawyer asked a question tempting Christ, the Bible says, trying to justify himself. And he tells them that story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke 17, verse 14, it says, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourself unto the priests. This is when Jesus healed the ten lepers. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And the Jesus answering said, weren't there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God. Save this stranger. So we have another story where the Samaritan is a good guy. But think about this. Jesus told him to go show themselves to the priest. Samaritan can't do that, can he? Because the priest wouldn't have seen him. But guess what? He actually did show himself to the priest, the high priest, of Melchizedek. Wonderful story there about a Samaritan. Jesus referred him as a stranger. So the Jews uh, they called Jesus a Samaritan as an insult. Okay. Now we've never done anything like that in America where you call somebody another nationality as an insult, but they did that kind of stuff in the Bible day. And John 8:48 says, "Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast the devil?" They were using that as an insult. So there's clearly a lot of bad blood between Jews and Samaritans. And, you know, we should get this because we don't we have the same kind of conflicts going on today. I mean, you've got black and white problems today. Where does that come from? Well, you know, we brought their ancestors over on slave ships and used them as slaves to build this country. We've got problems between the Indians and the white people. Why? Because we took their land. And, you know, the Bible does talk about Japheth, you know, being enlarged. It was prophesied. We're always expanding to everybody's territory. So everybody hates us. I mean, these things go back thousands of years. We've got, you know, northerners that don't like southerners because some of us haven't admitted defeat yet. And, you know, we got a problem with how things turned out uh, back then. There's still some of that kind of thing that goes on today. We've got, I mean, we've got, there's all kinds of conflicts like this that go back hundreds and even thousands of years. I mean, just look at the Jews and the Muslims. Been fighting with each other forever. So, this, you know, this kind of thing shouldn't be shocking, but you know, often when we see these things, we all want to find out, well, what was the origin? What made these people hate each other so much? Because, you know, there was a lot of different groups around, but what was it about the Samaritans that made them so special and so hated by the Jews? And we actually can find out from the Bible uh, what it was if, if you do a little bit of study. So, Before we can do that, though, it's important that we understand some things about Jews themselves. You know, a lot of people today who just support Jews, love Jews, act like Jews are the greatest thing, don't even know what a Jew is. And did you know, too, even those of us who know what a Jew is, and uh, we know what an Israelite is, we know what Israel is, do you know that even we often use those terms wrong and not in a biblical way? And because of that, Because we use these terms wrong, a lot of times we struggle interpreting different passages in the Bible because we are not using the word the way the Bible used it. And if we would use words the way the Bible uses it, all of a sudden things would become very clear. In fact, the the passage we read, Hosea chapter one, we're going to look at that prophecy in a little bit. People get confused on that sometimes as because we're using terms wrong and not like the Bible. And and so what I want us to do, I want us to look at this conflict, what happened between the Jews and Samaritans, and it will help us understand what Jews are, and it will help us understand what Samaritans are, and, and it will also help us understand some Bible prophecies and why some things are in the Bible like they are. So first thing we need to do in order to understand some things about the origin of the Samaritans, where they came from, is we've got to understand some things about Israel. And so the first thing we need to remember is in Israel's history, how when Solomon was king, Solomon, he started worshiping other gods. And because of that, God told Solomon he was going to take a part of the kingdom from him. Now, he didn't take it completely away from him because of his promise to David. So he promised that he would leave him a tribe. And so when the kingdom split, it didn't have to split in Solomon's day. It split in Rehoboam's day. And we see that we had in that southern kingdom, Jerusalem was the capital. And you had just the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, which was the least of the tribes that dwelt among the land of Judah. And then, of course, you had the Levites who didn't have an inheritance, but they were the ones who did the things of the temple and they were there in Jerusalem so that all the other tribes were a part of that northern kingdom. And when we're reading in the books of like First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, You have the kings of Israel and you have the kings of Judah. Now, the kings of Judah were the good guys. Those are the guys in the line of Christ. Those are the guys in the line of David. And during Rehoboam, Solomon Sunday, that's when the kingdom split. And we now have a kingdom of Judah and a kingdom of Israel. And so during all the time of Judah, the kingdom was always in the line of David. Now, in the northern kingdom, the first king was Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was told by the prophet, if he would serve the Lord like David, God would give him the same promise about keeping the kingdom in his family forever. But if he didn't, then he would lose that. And sure enough, he didn't follow the Lord like David. And so in the northern kingdom, we constantly see conflicts going on. We see the kingdom going from one family to another family. But eventually, if you follow the line through, you get to King Amri. Now, King Amri, he was another very wicked king, which pretty much all the kings of Israel, or the northern kingdom, were evil. And it was during Amri's reign. Turn over to 1 Kings 16, the northern kingdom of Israel, the capital, became Samaria. So just like Jerusalem's the capital for Judah, Samaria ends up becoming the capital for Israel. And in 1 Kings sixteen twenty three. It says, and in the uh, thirty and first year of Asa, king of Judah, began Omri to reign over Israel. Twelve years, six years reigned he in Tirzah, and he bought the hill of Samaria of Shemer for two talents of silver and built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill of Samaria. But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. So Omri the king, you know, he he's the one that established Samaria as that capital. And you probably remember Omri's evil son Ahab. Ahab was a very evil king. He had the wife Jezebel, and the northern kingdom was always pretty much always more wicked than the southern kingdom. And eventually, they got taken captive by the Syrians. Now, turn over to 2 Kings chapter 16. We don't have time to go through all the history and everything that happened. But in 2 Kings chapter 16, we are going to see a very familiar word used for the first time in the Bible. And the dispensationalists love the law of first mention. So you'd think that they would have studied this out a long time ago and would understand it. they love the law of first mention. It's like the most important thing in hermeneutics, if you ask them. But it says in verse two, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. And uh, Ahaz was mentioned in Hosea chapter one. I don't know if you were paying attention, but in that beginning of Hosea one, it names off all these kings during that time. And it really helps if you're reading those, if you pay attention to who those kings are, because it tells you where they're at in history. Ahaz was one of the men mentioned. And it says he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, talking about the southern kingdom, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Yea, he made his son to pass through the fire, according to the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Uh, Then reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to war and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. And at that time, reason king of Syria recovered Elath to Syria and drave the Jews from Elath and the Syrians came to Elath and dwelt there unto this day. Now, right there in verse six is the first time the Bible uses the term Jews. That's the first time we see that and notice how the Jews and Israel were at war with each other. Now, can you imagine if Fox News Baptists would have been around during that time? How conflicted they would have been? Who do we root for? I stand with the Jews. Well, I stand with Israel. You know, Just imagine how torn they would have been during that time. But what do we have here? The Jews and Israel, two different groups, are fighting each other. Because Jews and Israel are, during this time, they're two different things. They're, they're two different kingdoms. And Jew is from the Hebrew word Yehudi, if I'm saying that right, which is named after Yehuda or Judah, right? So Yehudi, just like you have, you know, Israel or Israelis. And so that's a, a way to explain people of Judah or people of the kingdom of Judah. Those are the Jews. If you're from the kingdom of Judah, you're a Jew. If you're a kingdom, if you're from the northern kingdom, you're, you're of Israel which is what they were known as. They weren't known as Samaritans during, during this time. And so now let's jump to the next chapter in chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. In verse 8, says, Therefore the Lord was angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of spoilers until He had cast them out of His sight. Now, I want you to notice Israel was cast out of God's sight, but not the Jews. Okay? It was Israel. Why? Because they're the northern kingdom. That's Israel. Judah is the southern kingdom. That's the Jews. And that's now all that's left. The Assyrians, they took out Israel. Only Judah Is now left. And so in verse 23, it says, Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, from Cuthah, from Ava, from Hamath, and from Separvaim, and placed them. In the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they possess Samaria and dwell in the cities thereof. So we are now seeing the beginning of the origins of Samaria. When Israel was taken out of their land, when they were taken out of Samaria, the, the, there were Babylonians and all these other groups that were placed in that land, that were placed in their land. So keep that in mind because. Samaria has got some new residents. So we also see one thing I want to point out, though, is how what has just happened to Israel. The prophets had prophesied that this was going to happen to them. The Prophets had been prophesying. You look at a lot of those minor prophets. A lot of them are directed at Israel. Some of them are directed at Judah, too. And without going through all those things, you'll see that what ended up happening in those stories is Judah repented during that time. And God saved them from the Assyrians. You can read about that in Isaiah. You can read about it during Hezekiah's day uh, where when the Assyrians came through and had them surrounded, God miraculously delivered them because they repented. But they went back into sin. And so eventually the Babylonians came and took out Judah. But Israel got taken out years before uh, the Babylonians came in. They, came, they got taken out during the time of the Assyrians and this was something God said was going to happen by the prophets because Israel was really bad. Okay. Now I'm using my, I'm trying to use my terms very accurately. When I talk about Israel right now, I'm not talking about the Jews. That's Judah. So, okay. So let's forget all terminology we've ever used. Are y'all following me? If I'm talking about Israel, I'm talking about the Northern Kingdom. I'm talking about Samaria. If I was talking about Jews, I'm talking about the Southern Kingdom. I'm talking about Judah. They were two different groups. Now, let's go back to Hosea chapter 1 because we've got to understand. I get it. During the time of Christ, you've got Israel and the Jews are all together. Okay? But when books like Hosea was written, it was two separate groups. So if we're reading the book of Hosea and we're talking about Israel, we're not talking about Jews. We're talking about Israel. We're talking about the southern kingdom. In the IFB world... Israel and Jews, it's a synonym. It's the same thing. But that's not always the case. And it's important that we understand this. So in chapter 1, Hosea 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, which we read the story where they were first called Jews, and Hezekiah. And he was the king after Ahaz when the Assyrians came through. And they did not succeed in taking Judah. So this gives us an idea of his day. Also, when we're reading Hosea, while you can read this book really fast, these prophecies came over several years because we see him having children during this time. And every time he'd have a child, God would kind of give another message for Israel. So just chapter one covers several years uh, of time. We need to remember these things. So it says, um, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So verse two says, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms for the land hath committed great whoredom departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer the daughter of Diblaim which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, call his name Jezreel for he yet a little while and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Now Jehu He's the one who overthrew the house of Amri, if you remember that. And then Jehu became king. And he was the closest thing they ever even had to a good king uh, in the northern kingdom. And he wasn't very good, folks. He was not a very good king. He did some crazy stuff. But because he did some good stuff, God told him, I'm going to leave the kingdom in your family for four generations. But he didn't make an everlasting covenant with him. He didn't give him the things he offered to Jeroboam because Jehu made some pretty bad mistakes, but he was the closest thing they had to a good king. When we watch him killing all those people of Baal, we just tend to like him a little bit, you know. But uh, he, he, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to see. We're going to see some examples tonight. Israel did, and we kind of like those stories, but it actually wasn't right what they did. And we can talk about whether or not Jehu should have done what he did another time. Uh, even even if he shouldn't have done it, I kind of like that story. I'm not I'm not going to lie. But verse five says, and it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So again, this isn't to the Jews. What he's saying here? This is to Israel. Don't forget that. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. So again, when the Assyrians came through, Israel was taken, but Judah was spared during the days of Hezekiah. Okay? So verse 8, Now when she had weaned lo she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo-am-I, for ye are not my people. That's Israel. Okay, that's Israel, not the Jews. That's Israel. For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. So this prophecy was not directed towards the Jews. It was directed towards Israel. Don't forget that. Because when Hosea said this, okay, today they'll tell you oh, the Jews in Israel are the same thing. Not during this time, not when this prophecy was given. They were two different people. God specifically said, "I'm casting Israel out of my sight, but I'm keeping. I'm going to protect the Jews." That's what God said. So He's talking about Israel here, not the Jews. Now some of you are still confused because you don't know what Jews are yet, okay? but you're going to know by the end of this message. Says so, then, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together. And appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Now, I believe this last verse is a clear example of a dual fulfillment, because after God dealt with Judah years later, after many years, God restored all of them to their land. They were no longer the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They were just Israel again. But headquarters was in Jerusalem. But we do see in the New Testament, there's a lot of talk about Jews. Okay. Now, what were those? What, and, and, we're, and we'll get to that. So we definitely kind of see a fulfillment that took place back then. But Romans makes it very clear. There's a lot more to that prophecy. I, I believe this is a very clear example of a dual fulfillment because there's no doubt they became one people again after the restoration of Israel. Uh, So, uh, turn over to Romans chapter 9. So, in Romans chapter 9, we see this very prophecy referred to in verse 21, after Paul has said, I love my people, I could wish myself accursed, but God has set them up for destruction. And in verse 21, it says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known unto the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in Osi, or that's Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Let me ask you, why is Paul talking, taking a prophecy about Israel and applying it to Gentiles? In fact, he's not just applying it to Gentiles, but he's applying it to Jews, people called of Jews and Gentiles. He's taken a prophecy that's to Israel and he is applying it to them. Why is he doing this? In fact, why is he including the Jews when this prophecy was not towards the Jews? It was toward Israel. If we understand these terms and how they were used, it's going to help us understand this prophecy very clearly. So, in order to understand this prophecy, we need to be familiar with what took place with Israel historically in the Bible. Now, let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 17 again. And we we already read the part where it showed how Um, they placed the Babylonians and all these other groups in Samaria. They placed them in Israel's land, specifically in Samaria. And it says in verse 25, And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that they feared not the Lord. Talking about all these foreigners. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them and slew some of them. That's pretty cool. Wherefore, they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, the nations which thou hast removed and placed in the city of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them and behold, they slay them because they know not the manner of the God of the land. So they're going to Assyria It's like, hey, these people that you put in that land, they don't know the God of that land and that God's not being good to him. He's sending lions in and killing them. I just think this is an awesome problem. You know, personally, when I, when I read this story, so then the king of Assyria commanded saying, so We've got all these foreigners now living in Samaria and things aren't going well with them. God's killing them because they don't fear God. So it says, Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence and let them go and dwell there and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. How be it every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places, which the Samaritans had made every nation in their cities, wherein they dwelt. You know what we're seeing right here? We're seeing a merger of two religions, which wasn't supposed to happen. Now, listen, just because God quit killing them with lions does not mean God sanctioned what was going on here. Okay? God did that trying to warn these people. But you know what? They... It didn't work. And so they end up saying, all right, let's bring some of their priests in. So they get some Levites. They come to Samaria. They start teaching these people the ways of the Lord. And they started doing some of the stuff, but they kept a lot of their own stuff too. This was not a good thing. This was not right. So what we're seeing here now is we've got a group of foreigners who've got some Jews there. And no doubt what happened over the years and what we see historically took place is we now have a mixed group of people that uh, have a form of Judaism, that have a imitation of Judaism that is not right. And we know from John chapter 4 that Samaria during Jesus' day had their own place of worship that the Jews and even Jesus did not recognize. Look what it says. Because remember how they got mad that his face was as it were to go to Jerusalem? Because up there in Samaria, you don't have to go to Jerusalem, you go to our place. There that they, they came up with. But that you know God chose Jerusalem to dwell in, not Samaria. So in verse nineteen, the woman at the well saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And that was true. Jerusalem is where men were supposed to worship, not Samaria. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So what they had going on there in Samaria, Jesus did not recognize. It was not good. It was not right. But the hour cometh. He still loved her though. Okay, It was a mess what they had going on in Samaria. Jesus still loved her. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. There's a day coming, He's saying, where you know what, it's not going to be about a location anymore. It's not going to be about a physical group of people. It's going to be about a spiritual people. That's what the Father's looking for. It's not that Jerusalem's got a better mountain than the one in Samaria. But the thing is, God chose Jerusalem that's where salvation is at and you know what but a day's coming where you're not gonna have to worry about that anymore because let me tell you the jews would have stopped the samaritans from worshiping in jerusalem and they had stopped them and i'll show you that here in a little bit so verse 24 god is a spirit they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth the woman saith unto him i know that Messiah cometh which is called christ when he has come he will tell us all things how does she know about messiah i'll tell you why Because even the the Samaritans, they believed in a coming Messiah. You know why? They've got a form of Judaism. So there was probably a lot of things that were like imitations of Judaism. And they had a teaching of a Messiah, too. They called him the same thing, which, you know, that would have drove the Jews crazy. Who do we because who do we fight with the most? It's the people that are closest to us sometimes, isn't it? You know, because you're a perversion of, of the real thing. You know, and so we get more mad at them. We get more mad at Baptists who go weird on doctrine than we do people with other names. Because, you know, nobody identifies us with them. But here you got these Samaritans who did. They probably had their own temple, who they've got a Messiah and all these things that are that belong to the Jews. And so, you, you know, there were some good reasons, you could say, that the Jews had problems with them because what they had was false. But Jesus tells this woman... I that speak unto thee am he. And upon it this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. And it is clear from the story that the Samaritans believed in the Messiah, but they had a form of worship that re- probably resembled what took place in Jerusalem but it was not recognized by God. Jesus did not recognize it. And so even though this woman, even though these people were a mess, Jesus loved her and explain how a time was coming where it wouldn't be about a physical location anymore. And so these Samaritans, while they had pretty much everything wrong, you know what? Just like the Gentiles, they had faith, didn't they? Unlike the Jews, they had faith. So let's look at what I believe is probably the origin of the jews rejection and hostility towards the samaritans and turn over to ezra chapter 4 I, I i've never even realized how much of ezra and nehemiah is showing where the conflict and where the hostility began all these stories that are in the bible they're there for a reason they're not just fillers they're there for a reason these things will help us a lot so in ezra chapter 4 verse 1 it says now when the adversaries of judah and benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the lord god of israel then came Zerubbabel and the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. That's that group we read about in Second Kings that were placed in Samaria. And they're saying, now we're years and years later. And they're saying, ever since we got brought to this land, we've been worshiping your God like you do. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to be included in what was going on in Jerusalem. Now I'm just going to give you my opinion, and I am totally willing to be challenged on this, and I won't be mad at you. I I might be wrong. I personally think they should have let them. Okay, that's my opinion. Okay, I, I think they, I think they should have let them. I think I can prove it biblically. Now, I definitely think they needed to do some things to vet these people first. And I think, I personally think, you know, this is just my opinion, if they'd have handled this right, I think they could have helped these people and they never would have had this conflict with the Samaritans. But I personally believe it was God's will and it was actually biblical for them to include these people. Okay? And so if, if you can show me something, Bible where I'm wrong, that's fine. Maybe there's something I'm missing. But let's keep reading. You'll see where I get this. So it says in verse 3, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said to them, Ye have nothing to do with us. To build a house unto our God. But we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. Well, these are bad people. They shouldn't have them. to them. Let me t- I think these were misguided people. You treat misguided people bad, they're probably going to retaliate. Okay? You know, there's lost people out there. We treat them like dirt. They're probably going to treat us like dirt, like that. You know what we ought to do? We ought to love them. We ought to try to get them saved. And, you know, we shouldn't, you know, what if somebody comes in here and wants to be a part of this church, but they're not even saved? Well, we should try to get them saved and then let them be a part of this church. We shouldn't just immediately reject them. What about these people back then? They should have showed them the ways of the Lord more clearly. They should have made sure these people's hearts were right. They were willing to do what they were supposed to do. They should have given them a chance. That's my personal opinion. But, you know what? They didn't. They're like, we have nothing to do with you. And let me tell you, Jews were a prejudice. Very prejudiced people, weren't they? They, they definitely were. And it says, and, they, and so these people, they retaliated. What these people did was bad. So they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, wrote Bishlam, uh, Mithridath, Tabiel, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Rehum the chancellor, Shemshai the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, and the, uh, the king in this sort, then wrote Rehum the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their companions, the Dinites, the Afarshites, the Tarpalites, the Afarsites, the Archivites, the Babylonians, the Susanchites, the Dehavites, the Elamites, And the rest of the nations with whom the great and noble Asnapper brought over and set in the cities of Samaria and the rest that are on this side of the river. And at such a time. So we see that these people that are doing all this stuff against the Jews were the people that were placed in that land that we read about in second Kings. So here's what I believe. This is the origin of the conflict. You've got these people that by no choice of their own were placed in that land of Samaria in their own misguided way. They tried to serve the Lord, weren't really doing things right. The Jews come back to their land. They are like, Hey, we serve your God. We want to work with you. And instead of trying to help these people out, the Jews just outright rejected them, which made these people retaliate and act nasty towards them. There was fault on both sides. Okay. Now, when we got two people, who do we expect to be the better person? You know, hopefully the saved people, right? You'd think the Jews would have taken the high road, but they didn't. And because of this, they had some major enemies that caused them a lot of problems. So verse 11 says, This is the copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even unto our deserts, the king, thy servants, the men on this side of the river, and at such a time, be it known unto the king, that the Jews which came up from thee to us Are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up walls thereof and joined the foundation. So, they went, they're basically lying on them. This was wrong. Okay? The way they treated them was wrong. But here's the question Should they have allowed them to help? Now, again, I, I welcome the argument that no, they shouldn't have let them help. I kind of think they should have let them help. I think the Bible here is just we we tend to read all these stories in the Old Testament with the Jews as always the heroes. But sometimes they did bad stuff. Okay? I personally think they should have helped. And this, because they didn't let them, this created some hostility that went on for a long time. I'll turn over to Nehemiah chapter 4. We all know the story, you know, we all know the name Okay, right? Now I, I I never caught this, never thought of this, connected this, but it says and it came to pass that when Sambal heard that they. We builded the wall. He was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews and spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria. So he's a about, he's a part of these group that are this that would become the Samaritans. And what's he doing? He's mocking the Jews. See, th- this is this hostility. This is where it all got going. The Samaritans kind of came in that land and kind of felt like it was theirs. The Jews got brought back to their land and they're like it's ours now. And you know what, what they did? They acted exactly the same way they did when they got put back in their land, you know, in 1948, towards the Palestinians. Kind of doing the same thing. It was our land. I know. And you know what? I know it was their land back then. I know it was their land. But we're forgetting about some things that God prophesied and God told them and God commanded them that nobody wants to talk about during their captivity. We're going to see some new instructions were given to them during the captivity that they ignored. That they completely ignored. So we see, so when we're reading those stories in Nehemiah, this is to the Samaritans. Or in Ezra. It's a Samaritan. That they, they rejected them in Ezra, and now they're uh, full blown enemies in Nehemiah. And so um, in verse so yes, yeah, so they did. They they end up stopping them. And you know, I personally think they probably weren't right in how they handled this. And, you know, people like to bring up Ezra chapter 10. Ezra chapter 10, people are always scratching their heads because we read the Old Testament. We always see the Jews as the heroes. But that's where we see them doing the mass divorces too. And people are always like, was that right? I don't think it was. Uh, Their kids were speaking, you know, half Jew and half uh, other, uh, other tongues. I forgot what it was. That was horrible. Yes, these were misguided people. But I'm telling you, I believe God wanted the Jews to reach them. I, I believe that, and I'm going to show you that here in a little bit. And I don't, and I guarantee you, doing that mass divorce thing like that probably created some hostility. It probably created some hard feelings that carried over for a long time. I mean, so you know, j- just imagine that. You know, j- I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be racially insensitive or anything like that. I know this is 2022 in America, right? But just just imagine if all of a sudden, you know, in our country, we like created a law. Basically banning any type of interracial relationships. And if people already had one, we made them get divorced legally. And so then we have all these, you know, half other, you know, half races, you know, and they're not allowed to like participate in our purebred society. (laughs) Who thinks a couple hundred years from now, there's going to be a you know, we let them live just not like us. Who, who bets there's going to be some pretty big hostility towards their descendants, towards our descendants. That's going to cause some big problems, won't it? You know why? Because that was bad. That would be wrong to do something like that. You know, it was wrong when they did this back then too. And because they they handled this so bad, it created all kinds of problems. And I get it. They weren't supposed to intermarry with foreigners, but it happened. It it happened. And I believe there was a, a, a proper way to handle this. So, um, in Nehemiah 13 verse 28. And I love this story here, but I'm not convinced that Nehemiah did the right thing here. And I love what Nehemiah did here. He might not have been right. It says, one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Elisha, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sam the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Because they did. They did their own thing with the priesthood. They weren't supposed to do that. And so here you've got a man of Samaria related to Sambal and Nehemiah runs them off. Why? Because they messed up. They defiled the priesthood. So thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. And so I believe this reference to the Levites who are working, or this is a reference to the Levites who are working with the Samaritans that clearly was not God's will. So I again, I think they made a mistake right here. Now this next passage we're going to look at it's very important that we understand the timing of it. Okay, we've got to understand the timing. Okay, it's in the book. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 47 because the book of Ezekiel was written while they were in captivity and it had prophecies about them coming out of captivity, being restored to their land that the pre want to act like it's still to come. No, these things came. And in these prophecies, it also contained more instruction. Things that were different from what was originally given. And and, and it contained more instruction for when they got back to their land. Uh, And so, remember, this command that we're looking at, it was given after the captivity, but before the events of Ezra and Nehemiah. So, keep that in mind. This command was given after Judah and the Jews went into captivity, but before they got brought back to their land, And the stories that were seen in Ezra and Nehemiah, the timing is important of this. So in Ezekiel 47 verse 21, so shall ye divide this land unto you according to all the tribes of Israel. And it shall come to pass that ye shall divide it by lot for an inheritance unto you and to the strangers that sojourn among you, which shall beget children among you. And they shall be unto you as born in the country among the children of Israel. They shall have an inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. But these aren't purebred Jews like us. What did he say? Let them dwell among you. Let them be your people. Let them have an inheritance with you. And it shall come to pass that in what what tribe the stranger sojourneth, there shall ye give him his inheritance, saith the Lord God. So if they're living in the tribe of Judah, then you know what? They're part of the tribe of Judah. But they didn't descend from Judah. doesn't matter okay this was something that god commanded them while they were in captivity for when they get brought back into their land and because here's the thing god wanted it it, originally things were exclusively israel but some things have changed during the time of their captivity we see a bunch of prophecies about this new covenant that was going to come that's where we're seeing a lot of messianic prophecies that were to come and and boy we could really go deep in some of the stuff We, we don't have time. I need a hurry, but we got to understand one of the things that God prophesied, one of the things that God wanted when they came back to the land, that wasn't something he said originally before he told him, like, you keep certain people out of here forever. But when they got, when they came out of captivity, he wanted Jerusalem to be a house of prayer for all nations. And when Jesus came in his triumphal entry, when Jesus fulfilling many of these prophecies that were given while in the captivity jesus got really mad at the jews because they were shutting people out jesus said matthew 23 13 but woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in now in isaiah 56 verse 3 says neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the lord speak saying the Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Go back and read the law. Eunuchs weren't supposed to be a part of it either. But here he's saying, it's not going to be that way. Verse 4, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs, that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place, and a name better than of the sons of And of daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name, and they shall not be cut off. And also the sons of the strangers that join themselves to the Lord to serve Him, and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants. Everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and taketh hold of My covenant. Even them will I bring to My holy mountain, and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon Mine altar, for Mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people." The Lord God, which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, saith, yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered to him. So let me tell you, he gave them this prophecy a short time later. You've got people coming up saying, we want to join up with you. And what do they say? They said, no, we're not. We're not going to have anything to do with you. And yes, those people turn around, they behave badly. But what do you expect? They were. They should have received them. They should have instructed them in the way of the Lord. That's what God's will was. That's what God wanted them to do. That wasn't like it was before, but some new things had been given while they were in the captivity, but they did. They shut them out. And notice how he says, the Lord which gathereth the outcasts of Israel. Who are these people? Who are these outcasts of Israel? Because we read in Old Testament prophecy and it's clear that Israel was supposed to receive Gentiles And while they didn't, we see when Jesus showed up, he did that, didn't he? You know what Jesus was doing? He was fulfilling what the Jews were supposed to do. Jesus was receiving the outcasts. Jesus was receiving the Samaritans. He was receiving the Gentiles. He was eating with the publicans and sinners, with those outcasts of Israel, with those people that weren't like the Jews That were all holy and righteous and had good genealogies and all that. In fact, we see some of that in Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, where they're checking up on the genealogies and things of people. And folks, that's the origin of the Jews. The Jews were kind of the more purebred ones of Israel. You had others that were kind of a mixture, that were sinful, that were not following the traditions. And while they were of Israel, they were kind of outcasts and the Jews treated them like garbage. Because, so you had the Jews who were like, we're all out in a bag of chips. But then you've got these other ones. They're just kind of outcasts. They're not received. They're not allowed to do anything. They're sinners. And they're mad when Jesus is eating with those people. But you know what? They were supposed to be receiving them. They were supposed to be being a light to them. They were, and I could show you a lot of scripture in the prophecies from during that time about them being a light and receiving people. And they did not do it. The Jews were in disobedience to God when they treated the people this way. And Jesus was mad. That was one of the reasons he was overturning tables. It wasn't just because they were selling stuff. That was was just one of the reasons. He had a problem that they were keeping people out like that. So this prophecy of Hosea, it was given to all those of Israel who messed up big time. You know, Because they had been cast out by the Jews. Even though they were of Israel... Because they weren't very good, because maybe they had some problems in their lineage, they you know they didn't have any kind of nobility, couldn't trace back their genealogy, they were kind of looked at as outcasts. But you know what? They were okay. God was still ready to receive them. Jesus still loved them. Jesus still wanted them, even though they messed up, even though they were intermixed with Gentiles, even though they had broken God's law. And notice how Paul understood these prophecies. They applied to all Gentiles. Because we're all messed up people. We've got nothing to boast about. We can't boast about our works. We can't boast about our lineage. We don't have any of those things going for us. And you know what? No Jew is an exception. No Jew is an exception. They just think that they are. They've come up with a system that makes them the greatest, but they're not. that, That is not what they are. And one of the biggest things people do not understand about the Bible is when Israel was restored to their land. After the Babylonian captivity, there were many things that changed one of the things that changed was the inclusion of people from other nations now what we end up seeing take place in the bible after everything's been happened with the cap uh, the captivities said you had that group of jews who felt that they had fulfilled the old covenant and that they were ready for the messiah that's who they thought they were they thought their bloodline made them special and that's why john had to say god has able these stones to raise up children unto abraham while he's trying to get these people to receive the messiah See, they thought their bloodline made them special, unlike former Israel, who had corrupted themselves. Certainly not like those Samaritans. Us Jews, those us purebreds from the kingdom of Judah, were good, but let me tell you, the outcasts of Israel and the Samaritans, they were easily able to see their sinful condition. But the Jews couldn't. The Jews could not. They thought their Jewishness made them acceptable, and it was in the days of their captivity that it was prophesied that a new covenant was coming and that they were supposed to be a light to the world and to let people be a part of it. But the physical kingdom with the earthly priesthood and an earthly tabernacle, it failed because of them. And this is why Jesus brought in a better covenant with a better priesthood and with a better temple made without hands. This made it possible for the whole world to have access to the covenant. So it's no longer come to Jerusalem which is kind of what we see in some of those prophecies. But now it's go, it, he tells the church, go into all the world. We're taking the kingdom to the world. And so in Romans 2, we all know this passage, verse 25, it says, for circumcision verily, verily profited, if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Because again, this is the Jews. We're the circumcision. We're the keepers of the law. We're the ones who've done all that stuff in the Old Testament. Paul's saying, not really. Unless you've done everything, then your circumcision profits nothing. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. And notice, this isn't about being of Israel here. It's about being a Jew. These are these purebreds. These people who think they've kept the law. These people who think they were ready for the Messiah. It says he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew. What you people think you are through your works of the law, through your circumcision, you're not that. But what you actually think you are is someone who has the circumcision as that of the heart and in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. So when the Jews came out of captivity, they made Judaism all about the outward. All about the flesh. But folks, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. God has always been looking at the inward man that can only be transformed by God. And that happens when we have faith. And folks, this is what God was always looking for. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, he says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff necked Ezekiel 36, 24 says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? God said, I'll bring you you into your land. And He said, I will cleanse you. These Jews, when the Messiah came, thought they had cleansed themselves. They didn't even think they needed cleansing. They thought they were fine. He says, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. Every Now now, folks, underline that verse. This prophecy was to the Jews and Jesus said, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to do all these things for you. And I'm going to be your God. Now in the New Testament, we see that that is something that happens on all of us who are a faith. That's, that's something that God does for us. It's not something we do for ourselves like the so-called Jews of today are doing for themselves or even in Jesus's day. And notice exactly what God said he's going to do for these Jews he said, I will be your God. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Revelation 21, three written to the seven churches says, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So folks, there's no doubt these things apply to us because you see again, in a nutshell, what happened, Israel messed up big time. And so the God said, you are not my people. Yet, your number is going to be as the sand of the sea. Sh- see what happened. Because God did restore them. A people who messed up. A messed up people. A intermixed people. A people who ended up more like the Gentiles. And th- we see that included the Gentiles. But it excluded the Jews who were a people who felt that they had achieved salvation through the works of the law because of a good bloodline. And God said, I I've, I've rejected that. And so those of us who have believed, those of us who are of faith, we we can claim what God promised to Israel. And that's why Paul took that passage about those who are not a people are now people of God. We're able to claim that because we were able to achieve through Christ what the Jews could not achieve through their works. And so, understand the Jews messed up big time. The Jews, their treatment of other people created a great deal of conflict and what's better? They should have gave them a chance. They should have instructed them in the ways of the Lord. But they didn't. They just looked at them. You don't belong in that land. It wasn't their fault. They didn't ask to be put there. Hey, did any of us ask to be a Gentile? No, we didn't ask. But you know what? We heard about the God of Israel. We believed in Him. We trusted Him. And thankfully, Jesus, the replacement of all the, of that Old Testament Israel, He accepted us, didn't He? He accepted us. The Jews wouldn't have. And that's why he had to come and bring in that new, better covenant, and be that mediator, all those things, because the Jews didn't do it. That was wrong. And so you know what? Samaritans did some bad stuff. But you know what? I blame the Jews for that whole conflict. I think think they're the bad ones. And you know what? The Samaritans, guess what? They're going to end up getting their inheritance that the Jews originally should have had but didn't get because they tried achieving it through the law. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. I pray this gives us a a deeper understanding of some of these things in the Scriptures, Lord, and uh, uh, greater appreciation for our salvation. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to uh, not be partial, help us not to have prejudice. Uh, Just help us to always remember there's nothing special about us except for you. And I pray we'll just introduce as many people to you as possible. In your name we pray. Amen.